Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News, where today we're going to bring him back, Mark Morgan, the former commissioner of the Customs and Border Patrol, a man who helped President Trump get a hold of that border, bring it under control, drop illegal crossings down to historically low levels, only to see the Biden administration come back and reverse all of that progress and uh, create the situation that we now have at the border where anywhere from four to 5,000 people, some days as high as 6,000 people are illegally crossing into the United States. Uh, this is a crisis, and Mark Morgan knows it better than anyone. Uh, he worked for President Obama. He's actually worked for six presidents, but uh, was uh, also the CPB chief uh, during the Obama year. So he's worked for both Barack Obama and Donald Trump. He has bipartisan trust. He has 30 years of irrefutable experience. And he's going to give you the real truth at the border. When Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas said over the weekend, the border is closed, go away, it is simply not true. When the White House says that this crisis was really a result of the Trump administration, he's going to tell you, I'm pretty certain, we'll see. But uh, my reporting indicates that's not true. When the White House makes claims that the Trump administration put people at risk by sending them back home uh, when they were rejected for illegal entry into the country. That's not true. We, we chartered flights for them, big, giant commercial flights for them. We're going to get the truth, and we're going to call baloney on all the things that are not being said, not being told the truth. Uh, and what better person to have than the person who ran the Customs and Border Patrol Mark Morgan joining us in just a few minutes. Now, a couple things today. We're going to do a civics quiz for the first time in history. Right after Mark Morgan, uh, I really believe one of the things that ails America today is a lack of civics understanding, civics illiteracy, I guess I would call it. People simply don't know the basics about their government. Therefore, they can't make informed judgments, nor uh, can they, if they go into politics, do they know all the powers and tools and levers in their hand. And so we're going to start a weekly project. It'll be on Tuesdays. I'm really excited about it. We're going to work with our friends at, at the Heritage Foundation, and we are going to do a weekly quiz and a little bit of tutorial. Think about it as schoolhouse rocks in the 21st century. We're going to explain some really fun things today, and we're going to start with 
the Electoral College and the effort to bypass the Electoral College that's going on in many states, many more than you might know. Uh, and we are going to uh, bring our friends in from Heritage Action for America and do a little tutorial on the history of the Electoral College, what the compact is doing in these states, how they're trying to do an end run around the Constitution. Really, really fun, important stuff. We can't wait to see what uh, what you think of it. That's going to come up after Mark Morgan. But before we get there, of course, we have an important uh, task on hand. We must go to uh, the big story I broke this morning. I, I teased it yesterday. We have it today on Just the News. It's atop the site. This is the first documents that we've been able to obtain that show that the FBI had concerns about the credibility, about the accuracy, about the reliability of an important piece of information that it, its informant, not the Christopher Steele informant, we know his sins, we know the failures of the uh, Christopher Steele dossier. We're talking about the other informant, the one named Stefan Halper, the academic, the Pentagon think tank guy, longtime FBI asset, had the nickname or code name Mitch, M-I-T-C-H, and, you know, we already reported that a lot of his undercover work intersecting with Papadopoulos and Page and others undercut uh, the FBI theory of Russia collusion. In fact, produced significant exculpatory evidence of innocence, statements unwitting by Papadopoulos and Page, other information that clearly ir irrefutably debunked the Russia collusion narrative. And it was kept from the FISA court and from the Congress for a long time, that feels like a wrongdoing that is uh, right in the sweet spot of what John Durham, the special prosecutor, is uh, investigating and should be punishing uh, if the evidence is there. But what I'm talking about is a second part of the Halper portfolio, and that was going after uh, Mike Flynn, uh, so the Mike Flynn investigation was opened as a subsection or sub case under Crossfire Hurricane. So let's take everybody back to the summer of 2016. Little tutorial because it's really important to understand how important this story is when you go through it. July 31st, 2016, the FBI opens up Operation Crossfire Hurricane, uh, looking at whether the Trump campaign uh, was wittingly or unwittingly colluding with Russia to hijack the election to pass dirt around. Uh, on Hillary Clinton that came from the Russians. As we know, that didn't happen. The opposite happened. Hillary Clinton's campaign through Christopher Steele took dirt from the Russians and harmed Donald Trump uh, or tried to harm Donald Trump. Very important flip on this. But uh, about 11 days into the investigation, Halper's activated. He's brought uh, up uh, to his handlers in New York. And there's a debriefing on Stefan Halper. Uh, and, you know, it's about targeting Page, about targeting Papadopoulos. In fact, the instructions, as we previously reported on the show and on Just the News, were, can you help us find anyone, a giant fishing net, basically a fishing, fishing expedition, find anyone that has any ties with Russia that could be in a position to get dirt on Hillary Clinton, give it to Donald Trump. Now, that's not the business of the FBI. That's a political countermission. We know that's what they told them because we have the documents. But during the debriefings, he volunteered a story on August 11th, so 11 days into the investigation, August 11, 2016. Donald Trump's just accepted the nomination. The fall campaign hasn't even begun. And they bring in uh, Stefan Halper to get him focused on Carter Page, on George Papadopoulos. We know they ask questions about uh, Senator Sessions, Jeff Sessions. But 
in that process, in that um, effort, they, Halper volunteered a story. And the story was, and it's a very important uh, piece of the puzzle, that back in 2014, when the, uh, Mike Flynn was still the director of the Defense Intelligence Agency, a three-star general, that uh, Halper observed him leaving a foreign event at Cambridge. It was one of those Cambridge events that Halper and his friends in the MI6 and elsewhere threw, that Flynn was observed leaving the um, event alone uh, with a, a Russian-born academic, a female by the name of Svetlana Lovka. We've had her on this show several times. And... Um, uh, I'm sorry, Savannah Lakova. Uh, Lakova, let me say that right. Svetlana Lakova. We've had her on this show. Her story is very compelling. She is sued for defamation over this very claim because not only was it given to the FBI, it eventually got leaked somehow. We don't know how, but we know it got leaked into the media. Well, uh, uh, we now know that the story originated with Stefan Halper on August 11, 2016. You can read the document. Don't have to take my word for it. Go to the digging tool on this story. You'll see it. So he tells the story that he witnessed Flynn leaving the event, this Cambridge event in 2014, while he was DIA director, uh, alone with a Svet, uh, Svetlana going on her way out, Lakova. Um, and uh, he had concerns that she may have had some Russian honeypot, Russian uh, intentions. Maybe she was tied to spying. And so he dumps us in there. They come back the next day and they question him again. And one of the things that they question him about is, didn't the DIA director have a staff with him? The DIA director doesn't normally go stag, doesn't go solo to these events. And he said, well, I think there was a local guy there helping him, meaning a local military official that joined him. But he kind of stuck to the general story that um, Flynn was unaccompanied and left the um, the event with uh, Svetlana Lokova alone, first in a cab and then to the train station. Now, let's get to the facts. Mike Flynn says he didn't leave in a cab in a train station. He uh, left with his staff that he was accompanied by military officials. Therefore, that part of the story doesn't appear to be true. Uh, secondly, Svetlana Lokova, uh, Lakova is not a Russian spy. In fact, the FBI was very familiar with her. Why? She had been working with the FBI's official historian on a book on Soviet spying. So the FBI kind of had vetted her and was kind of aware. Now, what do these documents show? They questioned Halper on the 11th of August, the 12th of August of 2016. And then on August 16th, just five days after Halper walks in this story, they open up a separate probe on Mike Flynn. And part of the predicate for that probe is, of course, this allegation by Stefan Halper that uh, Svetlana Lakova, a Russian academic, had left a 2014 event alone with Mike Flynn with no accompaniment and that this might have been a compromise operation. Now, uh, what the FBI found was that they couldn't corroborate this story at all. They could not, uh, they went through foreign intelligence, including Great Britain. They went through their own intelligence. They interviewed Mike Flynn's staff who said he was accompanied and that the story didn't match. And at the end of the day, the FBI very quickly with all of its tools uh, determined according to agent William Barnett, an agent that was interviewed by the justice department by John Durham, 
that this was neither plausible nor accurate. They determined that Stefan Halper's claim about Mike Flynn and Svetlana Lakova was not plausible, not accurate. And yet still, I'm not making this up, still they investigated Mike Flynn for months, five months I think it is. And then they tried to close it down and James Comey and Andrew McCabe won't have anything of it and they keep it open again. Pete Strzok is the one who communicates that the seventh floor doesn't want this case closed and they lure Flynn into an unsuspecting interview and then try to jam him up on uh, charges that he lied when in fact he probably didn't lie. It appears that the documents support that he tried to tell the truth and was honest. He didn't remember. He didn't make a declaration. What a travesty of justice when you put this all together. Now, Halper could just have been wrong. People remember things. Maybe he heard it secondhand and thought he remembered it as witnessing it. But whatever the case is, it's such an important line. Just listen to the, these are the actual words of the um, uh, of the FBI documents. What Agent Barnett said the FBI determined about Halper's honeypot story. The story uh, was not plausible, quote, not accurate, quote, not plausible, not accurate. And still, and still the FBI proceeded to investigate Michael Flynn with no basis, no predicate. As William Barnett has previously said and what we've previously reported, it was like a bad game of Clue, except where you just made up the conspiracy. It wasn't true. Any two people in a room could amount to a conspiracy, even though it wasn't. Uh, what a travesty of justice. That's the story we broke. Read it at the top of justthenews.com right now. It's really valuable. I think you'll see the documents. Maybe you'll get as angry as some of the people I talked to yesterday who couldn't believe the FBI's conduct in this matter. All right, quick commercial break. When we come back, uh, Mark Morgan, the former commissioner of the Customs and Border Patrol, absolute expert on the border, here to talk about the crisis and what the Biden administration is not telling the truth about. That's important. The stories we're getting officially through the media channels, through the press podium, through the Secretary of Homeland Security, according to Mark Morgan, the guy that ran the border agency, not accurate. We're going to hear from him next, right after this commercial break. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest. We're going back to the issue of the border. It is an enormous crisis, and there's nobody, nobody that understands it better than Mark Morgan. He's joining us again today. He's the, he's the former Custom and Border Patrol uh, commissioner. He ran the Border Patrol chief. He uh, worked for six administrations, Barack Obama, Donald Trump. He is the expert when it comes to the border. Mark, welcome back to the show. We're so grateful to have you back. I appreciate you having me, John. This is a, a you know critically important issue for this country right now that we're facing. It is absolutely true. And one of the things that I'm most concerned about right now is that 
The government is not giving us an honest accounting, an honest picture. Obviously, they're keeping reporters from from seeing what's going on inside, which never happened in prior administrations. But I, I want to ask you, because you have great sources, you have great visibility, you understand the system. Do we have an honest portrait of what's going on at the border this moment? Absolutely, unequivocally not. You know, John, and, and this is, you know, weeks ago, I started saying this should be the story in the story, you know, with, within the crisis that, that this administration has created. Look, you know, under, under the Trump administration, you can say what you want, but, but the truth and the facts are not only was I encouraged, but at times mandated to get out there and engage the, the media. You know, every single month I was having monthly operational updates where every single statistics and data we were producing, I was taking questions. I was taking softball questions. I was taking hard questions. I was taking questions from advocates from the right and the left. It could go on on. The bottom line, we were out there engaging. I mandated that the, the field leadership across the board and CPP to get out there and engage the media, make sure you're letting people in, bring cameras in the whole nine yards. That's a fact that all that in this administration has been shut down. Unbelievable. Yeah, there, it's just a, it's a complete um, blackout. And uh, when you look at what you can learn from the, you know, your former colleagues in the agency, what you know from your own expertise, from your own access to data, uh, what is the influx of uh, illegal migrants? What is, the, what is the size per day or per month that you think the, the population is growing in the country? So, John, that's a great question right now and a great, you know, kind of segue into what we're talking about, uh, about, you know, the lack of transparency. So, so not, it hasn't been officially, right? But, but just a couple of, uh, I think within the last 10, 11 days, they actually had a single day encounter of over 6,000. Have you seen that officially? Have anyone in DHS reported that? No. no. 6,000. 6, They're averaging now anywhere between probably around 4,500 to 5,000 a day. That's what they're averaging right now. You, you know, and, and, and here's another statistic. You know, they, they like to get out there and they're really talking about the, the, the unaccompanied minors, especially the, the tender age, right? The seven, eight year olds. They're, 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 they're just you know, enjoying talking about that to try to spin and mis, misdirect and mislead the American people. And of course, because that tugs at all our heartstrings. But, but, but John, here's the truth. And here's the stat they're not uh, presenting officially 75% of the so called unaccompanied minors are older teenagers, yeah. 15, 16, 17 years of age. They're not being ripped from their parents. They're making a constitution on their own, own to leave simply because they want a better job in the United States. It, 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 another quick stat that's very important. You know, do you know how many people that, that uh, DHS has, has mandated and forced CBP to release? No, no. because it hasn't been officially released. It's over 20,000. 20,000 have been released since January, but wow. they still get out there and say, oh, well, we'll we're, we're still removing people under, by the way, the Trump era Title 42 policy. But here's here's another thing. It's, it's, it's a blatant lie. The secretary is still out there saying that they're they're removing uh, uh, most families. John, it's a lie. It's absolutely lie. But yet they're not officially given the numbers right to back up that. What I know is on, on right now, the 21-day average, that they are actually releasing between 50 to 80% of the families that they're actually apprehending on a day. So not only are they not providing that statistic, but they're lying to the American people about it. When you heard Secretary Mayorkas over the weekend say, the border is closed, go away, we don't want to, uh, what was your what your thought to that to that statement? Well, after, yeah, after I you know, stopped laughing, you know, I, I mean, it's absurd. So, 
so let's get this. So the borders are closed unless you're an unaccompanied minor. The majority of them are 15, 16, 17. Uh, other than that, the borders are closed. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Other than uh, other other than families, now that 50 to 80 percent of them being released, the border is closed. Well, I'm sorry. Other than the fact that now former enrollees under the Remain in Mexico program, oh, oh that's right, they're letting them in. Uh, other than that, it's closed. Right? I could go on and on. It's 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 one of several, not only absurd but offensive and just blatant lies that they're saying to the American people. Yeah, it's it's just remarkable. The more I dig in, because you I mean your own eyes tell you what's going on. You see the the aerial shots. You see the pictures. Um, if I'm doing the math correctly, if we're running about four to five thousand a day, then we're looking at a hundred to hundred fifty thousand illegals a month being come into the country. Eighty percent allowed to stay. So you're probably eighty to a hundred thousand influx into the country every month. Is that a, is that accurate math? Well, so so remember that we're still the majority right now are still single adults, okay. right? So you're you're looking but between unaccompanied minors and families, you're looking anywhere, and it fluctuates. But but if I'm doing my math, it's around thirty five forty percent, but it's growing. But that's an important statistic because remember in 2019 at the height of the crisis, what made it the crisis were families unaccompanied uh, minors and, right. and and the volume and the percentage. And back then it was like sixty five sixty eight percent of the high volume we were encountering were families and unaccompanied minors, which then, until we were able to close the loopholes when we were releasing in, into the, the, the United States, we were able to close those loopholes, but now this administration has has turned those loopholes back on. Yeah. And, and so not only are we seeing both a significant increase in overall volume, but now we're seeing a significant jump in unaccompanied as a minor, which really drives the heart of the crisis. It's all of those things that combined that are causing the crisis. And then of course, because they dismantled the entire system that was effective. It is remarkable that uh, all of the things that worked to reduce the flow of migrants into the United States illegally uh, have been turned in reverse. I mean, it, there isn't a single thing that wasn't reversed, and it just it is a jaw-dropping uh, dynamic to watch. When you look at the, um, you remember the moments when the Democrats were demagoguing the Trump administration, your agency, uh, for uh, children being held in tents and cages yep. and uh, from the people you talk to on the front lines, uh, what proportion are we now compared to when the Trump administration was getting the stuff and knocked out of it? Yeah, so it, it's almost back there. In fact, the, the unaccompanied minor is worse than it was back in 2019. And, and, and John, this is very important for your listeners because this is exactly, for example, like what the United States Border Patrol wanted to prevent. It's exactly what we wanted to prevent. It's the exact thing that we were preventing and we were managing under the Trump administration. And here's a key note that another example of the just blatant lies that are being told to American people in this administration. John, we warned them. We warned them. Yep. I mean, there's 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 clips of me doing doing uh, hits on TV prior to the election where I said if any administration. Uh, is is elected that that says what the Biden campaign said they were going to do it would cause a crisis that would make 2019 pale in comparison. After the Biden team won, we I mean exhaustive briefs in the transition teams, exhaustive John, where we warned them if you dismantle the tools and network of policy in place, you would create another crisis, and that the border patrol facilities were not adequately prepared for, it, that HHS wasn't adequately prepared for it. 
they're making it seem like those conversations didn't happen, that that transition didn't happen, that those warnings didn't happen. It's a lie. I know it happened. They were warned, and they disregarded the border security experts, and they let their ideological hubris prevent them from, from listening to what was happening, and now look where we're at. And, of course, now, because it is a crisis, and we all know it's a crisis, they start playing the blame game. It's outrageous. Yeah, no, there's, there's, and do you think when you look at the American people are very perceptive and smart, they know what's going on. We had a yep. poll yesterday that uh, adjusted news that said uh, voters overwhelmingly blame Biden over Trump for, for this crisis. So they're, they're figuring out despite the spin. But at what point does this become uh, such an issue in the American public that there's political counter pressure? Because right now, you know, there's, there's images and there's, you know, shock and awe uh, in the news media the ones that are covering it honestly, but it hasn't really become a political issue. At what point does this become a political issue? Well, so I, I think that's a key question. I, I see it starting to happen. Uh, you know, you've got Representative Hinquayar that actually released the pictures, and he's been a, a pretty, uh, uh, you know, a fairly vocal about it sure. in the early stages, you know, for, for on the Democratic side. I think you're going to see more of that when you see more of the reality, when, when the numbers continue to skyrocket. Like you said, we're, we already saw February over 100,000. In March, you're going to see that well over 100,000. You know, I, I'm anticipating you're, you're going to get close to the past March in the numbers that, that rivaled the highest monthly average at the height of the crisis in 2019. When you see more overcrowded facilities, uh, um, when you see more families coming, more UACs coming, and more being released, I, I think they're going to have no choice. Uh, but but to finally step up and say, okay, this, this is broke. Um, but but he, here's the thing, John. It, it's going to be too late then. And and here here's an issue that that people are not paying attention to. It's look under the Trump administration. Look, we it was tough to prevent, apprehend, detain, and lawfully remove. That is tough to do, especially with the the volume of numbers to detain. You know, apprehend, detain, remove. It's going to be a heck of a lot easier to manage when your strategy is to create reception centers at the border and release whoever comes illegally as fast as humanly possible and then do nothing else. That is a heck of a lot easier to get your heart and hands around and manage when that's your strategy. Um, when you look out, I mean, you, 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 you know the law as well as anyone. Is there any legal remedy? Can someone sue the Biden administration and say you're not enforcing the law as on the book, you're in violation of the law, and try to get a case that works its way up to the Supreme Court? Do you think that that is a plausible uh, alternative here, uh, or does the, the courts have shown enough deference to the executive branch to let them manage this without court interference? What's your guess, uh, gut tell you? Yeah, so I'll tell you what, your listeners really need to pay attention to this question because this is where they can really get involved. They need to get to their state legislators. They need to get to their state's AG, to their state's governor, and really apply the pressure to have more states do what AG Paxton of Texas did, what the governor, uh, Abbott of Texas, is doing, is to get out there and push back right now because this administration is absolutely has dismantled everything and everything that they're doing is against the, the, the nation's best interest and i believe it's for perceived political gain the last line of defense of the states so they do and when when uh the ag Paxton pushed back on the you know the eo that stopped deportations for 100 days he won and, and one of the you know i'm paraphrasing but but the judge his, his statement said it was very powerful that you know part of the reason he said it is because he agreed that there would be immediate harm to the state 
Um, there are multiple, there are multiple avenues that the state can get ball to show that shows immediate harm to this administration's illegal immigration policy, and they've got to step up. Yeah, that seems to be where the battle goes in the short term because it doesn't appear to be any uh, motive or uh, effort by this Homeland Security Department or its current leadership above to to do anything but encourage this co- continued influx. When you look downstream, uh, do you have any sense of how much uh, human trafficking has gone up, how much illegal drug trade has gone up? I know there's plenty of anecdotes. We clearly know that. Right. But uh, right. what what is your gut tell you intelligence-wise is the increase in crime uh, and trafficking and, and uh, both drug and human trafficking that's occurring as, as this influx uh, uh, accelerates? John, another very critically important area that your listeners have to pay attention to. So, and this is one of the most disgusting lies, lies that came out of the mouth of the DHS secretary when he said, quote, the southwest border is secure. He said that. The southwest border is secure. That's a joke, John, and it's a lie. And the 63,000 men and women of CDP on the front lines of our nations on the southwest border know that's a lie. And part of the reason why it's a lie is that when you encourage, incentivize, and facilitate illegal immigration and the numbers of unaccompanied minors and families skyrocket, that pulls border patrol agents away from the front lines, away from the national security mission, and leaves large swaths of the the border open. We saw that in 2019. The smugglers used the families and unaccompanied minors as distraction, knowing they'll take an intensive amount of resources of border patrol so that they can, what, smuggle illegally drugs and criminal aliens across the border easily and more effectively. It happened in 2019, and it's happening now. You're going to see an increase in, in, in drugs that are getting by and other uh, uh, illegal aliens. And let, let me give you a, a stat right now. They are estimating right now day, daily averages, anywhere between 800 and 1,000 immigrants are illegally entering the border and getting away because of right now agents are being pulled off the line to deal with the humanitarian side of things. Almost a thousand a day, John. Wow. That is a big number. And there has to be consequences because those who are coming in that way don't have the most uh, uh, good intentions, right? They're they're the most likely to be the ones with criminal intentions. That's right. And if if you look at, so on on an annual basis, border patrol usually apprehends about a thousand gang members every, every single year, a thousand. ICE on the back end, anywhere from four to six thousand gang members that they would apprehend that are here in the country illegally and deport them so just 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 look at that i always say how many is enough how many is enough is it 10 20 100 gang members how many violent gang members are you okay with illegally in in the country and for the secretary of dhs to say our border secure it's offensive to the men and women risking their lives and just again it's a blatant lie to the american people yeah, that's the the thing I'm most concerned about now as a journalist, which is the honest story isn't getting out. We're getting a lot of statements that the regular media are taking at their face value, and all you have to do is five seconds of digging to realize it is not true. It's simply not true. The um, When you hear from the front lines, uh, how beleaguered, how beaten down, how concerned are the extraordinary men of the CPB? They're, 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 first of all, John, thanks for asking that, because they're, they're absolutely they're human beings at the end of the day. Of course, this, this impacts their, their, their mental thoughts. Of course, it impacts their morale. Because, and one of the reasons is because they are now put in this horrible place that could have been prevented. They were, we were managing it before. 
in November, this is a good stat. In November of 2020, we had less than 800 in our in our, our CPP facility. John, less than 800. Now the number is 10,000 and growing every day. Mm. We 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 had this managed, and we told them, "Don't do this because this is what's going to happen." And so, of course, do you think, I mean, like a border patrol agent wants to get up and now it goes into a processing center that's overcrowded with, with unaccompanied kids and families. I mean, they don't want that. They don't no. want that any more than the rest of us do, right? So, of course, and then, of course, who, who, who gets blamed for it, right? Who, who gets all the rhetoric? Border patrol. When they have nothing to do with this, when they've been begging to keep policies like the wall, to keep policies like Remain in Mexico and Asylum Cooperative Agreements that really dictated that, that those with valid claims seek relief and assistance in the first you know, country they come to instead of foreign shopping to get to the United States. And I could go on and on. I it bet. was all working. They knew it. And, and so, of course, they're, they're, they're devastated. Look, I just got an email a couple of days ago from a you know, longtime border choice and said, hey, look, there's a lot of folks that are reti- uh, 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 eligible to retire. It's not mandatory, but they're leaving because they know what's coming. Wow. And that's, that brain drain will be devastating, particularly in the middle of a crisis like we're facing. I want to drill down because you were in the transition briefings, and it was clear what the Biden administration's intention was because they boast about it all through the 2020 election. Can you walk us through the sort of things that you briefed the Biden administration? Because one, one of the legitimate criticisms, all right, if you make a decision, you're going to release illegal immigrants into the country because that's your policy and you got elected on it, whatever it is you at least have to prepare for the scenario. Can you walk us through what sort of things you were telling the Biden administration would be needed to facilitate their policies that they clearly didn't implement? Yeah, so, so two things. So I personally didn't provide uh, participate in a single briefing, although I asked, right? In right. fact, through, 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 through a channel, I actually you know, got to the now uh, secretary of DHS uh, asking to, to actually have a brief with them, and he, he, he never responded. Never, never took me up on that offer. Wow. But, but the teams, the, the the experts, the border security experts that did brief them, the countless numbers of experts that did, I constantly had meetings with them, both to prepare for and and the debriefing afterwards of what they prepared uh, and and presented them. And and I can tell you a, a couple of significant things. One is. They, they told them the significance of the tools and network of policies uh, that, that were in place and, and how effective they were. They, told, they talked to them about the wall system, how effective the wall system was as part of a multi-layer strategy of infrastructure, technology, personnel, and everywhere that strategy um, uh, um, is implemented, it, it was effective. They, they told them the, the, the stats and statistics uh, uh, and how effective the Remain in Mexico program, MPP, was. They told them how effective the asylum cooperative agreements with the Northern Triangle countries were. They told them about how the 75% of the flow had been reduced by February of 2020 prior to COVID uh, you know, hitting the, the, the world. And all of that was, was presented to them, John, in addition to the modeling that we did that showed if you take if you took away MPP, if you took away Title 42, if you took away the ACA, then what would happen? John, we told them that. We told them that you would create crisis-level numbers, and we told them that our facilities were not prepared and designed for that, and HHS was not prepared for it. John, we told them that. We warned them. They ignored our experts. I 
let their ideological hubris drive what they wanted to do, stick their head in the sand. And now that everybody in this country sees it's a crisis for what it is, they're, they're rewriting history, inserting their own facts, and trying to blame the Trump administration when the blame lies directly at their feet. Yeah, that's so important for our listeners and for the American public to hear because there was lots of conversations in November and December and January. Uh, the Biden administration knew exactly what crisis they were about to bring upon it, and it doesn't. We clearly didn't staff for it properly. And at some point, there isn't enough staff in the CPB to staff for what they're about to inflict on America. It is really, really a remarkable, right. really remarkable. Mark, we want to keep bringing you back on. Our audience cares about this. This is essential to American security now. Beyond thanking you for your extraordinary service, because you served under President Obama, you served under President Trump, I think six different presidents, right? That you worked right. for in that's law right. enforcement. That's right, both Republican, Democrat, and John, like you and I talked, this is not a right or left thing. No. And it shouldn't be. We should not be taking sides based on your political ideology. This is about the truth. This is about the facts, you know? And, you know, if I can, one last thing. I, I know time's limited, but, you know, they talk about humane policy. Let me put this out to you, reader. What is humane? about a, a United States actively participating in encouraging and facilitating uh, illegal immigration where up, independent studies have showed up to 30 percent of them are abused on their way up here. They're traveling through mm. COVID hotspots. They're shoved in overcrowded, unsanitary stash houses and tractor trailers, left in the middle of the Rio Grande in desert environments by the coyotes to fend for themselves, and they often die or have to be rescued by uh, the Border Patrol. How is that humane? And the answer is it's not. Oh, that is so powerful. You're right. It's not humane. And the, the human toll on the people that they say they're helping is the part that never gets discussed. And, and you're so right, Mark, that uh, uh, this there's a much better way to deal with this than putting all of these, as you said, 30% of people being abused on their pathway even to here. That, that's not, we're and better like, than that. And, and like you said, and like you said, we, we haven't even talked about the trafficking issue. Uh, so I'll come on another time. We can talk about that as well. Yeah, I'm so interested in that because it, I, I'm hearing from all different corners that the, the trafficking is up so quickly now that um, we have another humanitarian crisis right over the right over the edge on, on the horizon. So, well, Mark, this is important stuff. It's sobering stuff. Every time I talk to you, I, I know uh, the challenge ahead of us is large, but uh, we're lucky to have voices like yours um, uh, educating us, getting us the truth when our own media and our own uh, government isn't giving it to us. And uh, we're going to get you back on soon because there's going to be a lot more to talk about. I'm all in, John, because I couldn't agree more. Thanks for having me. Thank you, sir. All right, folks, we're going to go quickly to commercial break, come back and wrap things up for the day. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And uh, I've been thinking a lot lately about one of the things that ails America is a civics illiteracy. Our, we just simply are too busy and don't know enough about how our government works. And you can't, if you don't have that knowledge, well, you can't really help shape or uh, influence government. And so we're going to start here at Just the News in partnership with our good friends at Heritage Action for America. Uh, a regular segment once a week on this show, we're going to go through 
uh, an important civics question. Uh, we'll tie it to a quiz on the website. So you'll have a chance to go out and fill the quiz on the website. And, uh, and then we'll learn a lot with, uh, with one of our great experts at Heritage. And, uh, and then we'll give you the answer to the quiz the day after. So you'll have to uh, play along in a quiz. Hopefully you'll learn something from that. And then you'll certainly learn something from our, our good friends at Heritage. And joining us today to start off this inaugural effort is Garrett Best, the Vice President at uh, Heritage for Action for America. Garrett, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. Appreciate you having me on. Well, this is an important project, something very close to my heart. And um, I think we we all know that we're a little faulty on civics these days. And so this will be one one small way of trying to contribute to uh, getting people more up to speed about their government. So this morning, I posted a question online at justthenews.com. It's a reader poll. And the question is, the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact has been introduced in how many state legislatures? And we're going to give people the answer tomorrow. Uh, that's your homework assignment. Today. Go check that quiz out and find out. But it gives us an opportunity to really explore what's going on with this national popular vote movement and and also what our founding fathers intended. So, Garrett, you, you've been an expert on this for a long time. So I want to ask you, where did the Electoral College come from in the first place? Well, it's a great question, John. And, and the answer is pretty simple. It's, it's from the Constitution itself. Article 2 outlines the powers of the president, beginning with Section 1, which discusses how the president is to be chosen. And, I, and I'll quote it just briefly here for you. Each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state may be entitled in the Congress. So in 1803, the 12th Amendment was passed and specified that the electors would cast a separate ballot for the president and vice president. Originally, they casted two votes, both for president, and then with each vote going to a different individual. And so the runner-up in that vote would become vice president. Wow. But if you've seen Hamilton on Broadway, <laughs> uh, you know course. that— didn't uh, work out so well. Led to a mess. It doesn't work out so well yeah. uh, when the vice president and the president are of two different parties. So uh, you know that uh, from Hamilton, it led to a messy tie between Jefferson and Burr. And so the 12th Amendment was ratified to fix that problem. Um, and then again, a little bit later on in uh, the 1960, or excuse me, in 1960, uh, the 23rd Amendment came along and gave D.C. electors, um, the, uh, gave, gave the District of Columbia actual electors in this process as well. Uh, prior to this, only only the 50 states had electors. Right. So in total now, the states in D.C. elect 538 electors who then elect the president and vice president. That's what we call the Electoral College. Pretty amazing what our founding fathers thought of. They were thinking so far ahead into the future. And um, and so it, it makes you scratch your head sometimes. And and obviously there's a movement uh, to force legislatures to to try to amend this. It's called the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact. And the first question that comes up, you know, why don't we just why don't we default and go say let's just make it a national popular vote? Whoever gets the most votes, regardless of breakdown by state, we're just going to name the president that way. Why don't we do that? Well, I mean, you could, I guess, um, but there is a lot of wisdom in the electoral college system, which are founding fathers put together and uh, the very things many on the political left attack it for are actually its strength. Uh, for one, it gives us a voice uh, to every state, including the smaller ones. So under the system that we have under this electoral college system, the people of places like Iowa and New Hampshire still matter to federal officials. Of course, larger states like California and Texas do too, but under a national popular vote, perhaps only California and Texas and maybe a few other states like New York and Illinois 
would matter. And then secondly, it acts as a firewall against voter fraud. Uh, the amount of damage that fraud can do is limited to any one state's electoral votes. So illegally running up the vote in one state isn't going to affect the total count in any others. Right now, in order to cheat with elections, you generally have to cheat in multiple states to see an impact. But removing the Electoral College would incentivize bad actors at the state level. And there are already enough problems with fraud. We don't need to encourage any more. Yeah, that's for sure. And that's interesting. I never thought of that. But one big state could hijack the whole election once you once you took the safeguard away. Very, very interesting. So the, the real question is, can it be changed? What, what is the way that our founding fathers intended this if, if we wanted to change it? Well, anything in the Constitution can be changed. And, and we do that with an amendment. Um, you know, this is not a this is not a process that occurs often. We only have 27 amendments. Uh, to the Constitution, with 10 of them coming in the first couple of years. But um, it just requires a two-thirds vote of Congress and ratification by three-fourths of the state. So three-fourths is a purposefully high threshold. The founders wanted a constitutional change to be widely supported. Yeah, great and when changed to the electoral, yeah, when change to the Electoral College has been widely supported, it's happened, as in the case of the 12th and 23rd Amendments. But in the case of a national popular vote, that sort of change does not have broad public backing. So the, there are some on the left who think that there's a way around the Constitution and end run. Describe what's going on with the compact. Yeah, they, they sure do. Um, and like you, like you alluded to in the opening, there's a, there's a movement to circumvent the Constitution called the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact. It would work by getting state legislatures to pass laws stating that their electoral votes won't go to the winner in their state, but to the winner of the national popular vote. These states have pledged through law that the compact will go into effect once there are enough states in it to get to 270 electoral votes. At that point, America would have a de facto national popular vote. But this is a blatant end run around the Constitution and the constitutional process to amend it. It's, it's jaw-dropping to think of the creative end run that's being done here. So the next question I have to is, how likely is this to happen? Could, could this really happen? Well, it's a, it's a very real threat. Uh, some of you uh, may have seen the question online. Uh, we asked you to guess how many state legislatures the NPV Interstate Compact has been introduced into. The answer will surprise you, and I'm not going to give it away now, John, because I know you're going to get that tomorrow. Yeah, we're going to hold people but, hostage for a whole day. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to allude a little bit to numbers for the sake of answering the question. Of the states that have introduced this, 15 states have already passed it, and so has the District wow. of Columbia. So together, there are 16 jurisdictions representing already almost 200 electoral votes so, that have already pledged those electoral votes to the national just, popular we're vote. We're just 70, 75 votes away from it becoming reality. Yeah. And additionally, um, it has passed one chamber in an additional nine states, accounting for another almost 88 electoral votes. So if it passed in all nine of those states, the MPV would actually go into effect. The compact would be at somewhere around 284 electoral votes. Truthfully, they, they don't even really need all nine of those states to break 270. Wow, God, it's breathtaking just to think that the founding fathers' wishes could be could be changed that simply with, with, with this end run. So what are the strategies out there to oppose this movement? I know Heritage and others have raised concern about it. Uh, how, how do people who want, don't want this to happen, what, what levers do they have? Well, the national popular vote is of dubious legality. But doing nothing and waiting for the decision to be decided by the courts is a gambler strategy. 
An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So the safest path forward is to not let any more state legislatures enact the national popular vote. Constitutionalists, people like us who believe in what the founding fathers established, need to stand up and make their voices heard. This is not the change we want. And even those who may want a national popular vote, if they are being intellectually honest, they know this is not the way the change is supposed to be made. There is a process to amend the Constitution. Opponents of the Electoral College have a way to change it. They should have integrity and push for a constitutional amendment, not a constitutional loophole. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, Founding fathers knew exactly why they set the thresholds where they did, and we should honor that, I think. And um, Garrett, thank you so much for walking us through that. This is something that a lot of people hear generally, and it's kind of buzzing in the air, and you don't really know what it is. And when you dive deep into it, it's pretty scary stuff. And it's why people need to get more literate, get more on top of these changes because there there is a lot of people in this country trying to change the bedrock principles of america right now this is a really great example so we can't thank you enough garrett for walking us through this very important issue really appreciate the opportunity john and folks remember tomorrow go back to the website we're going to give you the answer on just how many states have uh, legislatures already have this compact before it it's going to surprise you the number and that's why we're doing this whole exercise all right we're going to go to quick commercial break when we come back We're going to wrap things up for the day. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, that wraps things up uh, for another edition of John Solomon Report. So grateful you joined. I really feel like Mark Morgan brought to the table some really valuable information, some really valuable insights. Uh, You can get the truth here. We're going to give you facts from people who know. We're not going to give you supposition. We're giving you the guy who ran the Border Patrol, both under Barack Obama and Donald Trump, the guy who helped reduce the influx of illegal immigrants into the United States by large numbers to historic lows only to see it be reversed in the first 60 days of the Biden administration. Here is what uh, you get from Just the News and also a little bit of learning. I know I took you to the classroom today, but I'm really, um, really thankful for Garrett Bess at Heritage Action for educating us, giving us some civic literacy on the issue of uh, the Electoral College and the effort to undo it in an end run around the Constitution. Really valuable stuff. Now, go to the site, take the quiz. You're going to get the real answer. We're going to give that answer tomorrow. How many states are considering the compact to go to a popular vote? We're going to give you that number tomorrow on this podcast. You can go take the poll now and learn. Go to justinnews.com. Look for the poll. It's there. You'll learn a lot. Very important effort. We're going to do this once a week. We're going to do civics industry. I think next week, uh, now that we're done with uh, the electoral college and the effort to move to a popular national vote i think we should take on 
the filibuster. Yes, you hear it. You're like, what the heck is a filibuster? I hear these senators talking about it. We're going to cover that next week. Really fun thing. Again, big thanks to Mark Morgan. Big uh, thanks to Garrett Bess from Heritage Action. So grateful. I hope this show was really worthwhile for you. It certainly was for me. We'll be back tomorrow with more exclusive news and interviews with John Solomon Reports and JustTheNews.com.